Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Democracy in much of Africa is constrained from delivering on its development potential for three reasons. Scholars and practitioners have summed these up in the lack of governance capacity and malpractices that undermine electoral democracy. But does this mean the future of democracy is bleak? In this edition of Talking Africa, Desmond Davis engages Professor Karuti Kanyanga, Associate Research Professor of Development Studies at the Institute for Development Studies IDS at the University of Nairobi. Professor Karuti discusses the future of Africa, how Africans see themselves and their future of governance, and the significant changes taking place with some countries institutionalizing democratic reforms. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis, and my guest today is Karuti Kanyinga, Professor of Development Studies at the Institute for Development Studies at the University of Nairobi. We're here to talk about the future of democratic government in Africa. What's your overall view? Uh, le let me begin by saying thank you very much for having me here, um, and because what you are discussing today is a very topical issue uh, throughout Africa. Uh, it's about the future of Africa and how Africans see themselves uh, and their future of governance. And the first thing to say is that Africa is changing. Africa is changing. Um, and we see that change by looking at what has happened in the last 10 years. Uh, the authoritarian character of the African state, African government is being uh, uh, threatened by uh, popular groups from below. If you look at uh, what has happened in uh, recent times, uh, even in terms of elections uh, in places like Ghana, uh, Ghana now has institutionalized uh, democratic reforms and institutionalized the transitions in a manner that doesn't pose any threat uh, to threats of violence in any significant way. Um, if you look at Senegal, the same. Um, if you look at a place like Nigeria, where an, an incumbent president lost uh, an election and where the electoral commission uh, handed by Tahiru Jehegu sometimes back, uh, I, I mean, uh, went and announced uh, the opposition as, the, as winning an election which uh, it was unheard of. These are small anecdotal things that make people feel that Africa of yesterday uh, is slowly coming to an end. If you look at a place like Ethiopia, you didn't expect actually a, pr a prime minister to resign all of a sudden because of pressures uh, um, of not addressing certain uh, issues that uh, uh, certain segments of the society thought would, should be addressed. So when you look at it that way, then you can say actually there is significant change that is taking place in Africa in different ways. Accumulatively, one may not tell by when we can have a whole democratic Africa, but this, there are trends in the right direction. But at the same time, we need to warn that there are trends also um, backwards. <laughs> Africa is backsliding also in different ways uh, in some uh, occasions. I mean, we have got cases like in Kenya uh, where we have a very progressive constitution very, very progressive constitution. Um, I think one, one may want to argue that as, it's much more, prof it's profoundly more progressive than even the South African constitution. But even with that particular constitution, we get the old order fighting back and entrenching itself and preventing uh, the transformation of the society through the rule of law and through um, uh, um, block uh, placing blockages on constitutionalism itself. So there are certain contradictions that we may map out, but all said and done, 
one can say actually there is significant changes that are taking place in Africa. Well, that's a good point you made because, to be honest, democratic governments, so-called democratic governments in Africa today, still represent the interest of uh, the elite rather than general population. That has to change. Uh, that, 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 that is true. And, and, and I think when you look at Africa itself and uh, actually everywhere, you'll see what we may want to call elite capture of yes. the state and its institutions. In fact, if you look at Africa of about 20 years ago, uh, we can see that uh, many leaders did not like elections. Uh, they did not like elections because they would be rooted out of office through, uh, electoral, I mean, through the electoral process. And they, but what they would do at that particular time is that actually they would choose even their voters. Uh, my friend Tadika Mukandawero says that uh, they didn't mind elections because they, 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 they would elect even who would vote in an election because they would use manual registers and pluck out the pages of uh, voters they don't want to vote. But now they have changed. Everybody wants an election because sometimes they can control uh, those elections because there is the elite capture of the electoral process virtually everywhere. And let, let me say this. Let me, let me emphasize this. In Africa now, the problem with even vote observation is that we are doing vote observation in the old ways of looking at ballot stuffing, the queues that are in polling stations. No. The elites are stealing elections through technology. There is technological capture now. Uh, everyone is waiting for vote transmission of results, and you can change con your configuration in the computer and make one vote uh, and be one times four. Um, so, electoral, electoral reforms in, in, in Africa that are emphasizing on technological reforms, technological reforms that have been captured by a small elite, mm -hmm. it's a major threat uh, to Africa's democracy. So, there is a small cabal of African elites that doesn't belong to the first generation of leaders, not even the second generation of leaders, the third generation of elites that doesn't have an interest in nation building is a major threat. But, but I'm not talking about even political elite, uh, professionals who uh, benefit from uh, a corrupt system. That's what's happening throughout Africa. They benefit from corrupt system, so they encourage the, the, the politicians to stay in power. They are the ones who help to rig votes in favor of uh, democratic uh, leaders. I just, want, I, I, just want, I, I agree with you totally, but they are one and the same. Chronism is the same. It cannot be defined in any other way. <laughs> the same elites are the ones who are using business. Yes. Uh, and the politics to be in power. So you either choose uh, to be, if you are in politics, you lose. You look for an economic elite yes. on the other side to sustain your interest in politics. Mm -hmm. And if you are in uh, the an economic in the business yes. industry sector, you lose now. You look for elites in politics uh, to help you sustain your interest on the other side. So and this is what breeds mega corruption in Africa. Corruption, mega-corruption is built by these particular fears by elites on both sides. The business uh, elites would always look for politicians to protect them. Yes. And politicians would also always look for wealth and uh, finances from the economic elites. So they form a cartel, if one can call it that. Yes. They form a cartel that usually leads to state capture of all institutions. And then that breeds mega-corruption. If you look at Nigeria, if you look at Kenya, if you look at Tanzania, name it. All mega-corruptions are as a result of elites in both business and in politics intertwining their interests. And they don't have the interests of the society at heart. This is the single most important threat mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, to democratic reforms in Africa. But is Africa addressing this particular challenge? 
Um, uh, one would say that the days of popular revolutions seem to be waning. Uh, the influence of popular re uh, revolutions and popular struggles uh, yes. appear to be uh, waning. But if you look at examples that, uh, of places like Ghana, and even places like Nigeria, you can see that there are certain steps that some governments have taken and have actually polarized the role of these particular cartels. Uh, people may not agree with me, but I look at Buhari's uh, first term in office, yes. the first one year in office. What he did to corruption cartels itself was very telling. His pronouncements lend to actually the real estate collapsing in, in places like Abuja. Mm -hmm. Now, the, 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 the elites couldn't afford houses anymore, right? Um, uh, if you look at places um, uh, like Ghana itself, where corruption had been financing elections, uh, the pronouncements on corruption, although it's, it remains pro uh, prominent, uh, lend to elites also withdrawing. Uh, from uh, the, the, the state space. So there are certain contradictions we see, but all the same, we can say there are certain countries that are taking good steps, but there is also instances of a lot of backsliding. Yeah, it, it, it's a good point you've made, because when President Bill took over in, in Sierra Leone last year, he instituted an audit of government finances and discovered that, uh, these were foreign, foreign auditors who discovered that one billion uh, went missing between 2015 and 2018. Now the APC has lost power. Rather than work with the government, they're trying to create all sorts of problems. So uh, how, how do you deal with this? They have been disruptive in society. Uh, but, 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 let, let me begin by saying that very few new governments have got the courage to go for the old order and arrest people and put them yes. behind bars. The problem with most African leaders, and especially during the period of transition, is that there is always the fear of how to enforce the rule of law. Yes. And yet that's the solution to many things. Some fear touching the old guards because the old guards may have financed your campaigns. Some fear touching the old guards because the old guards may be entrenched very clearly um, uh, in what you do. Yes. So in the process, you let them actually to regroup. And the moment they regroup, then they show you the challenges that Sierra Leone is facing today. Um, uh, look at Tanzania and Magufuli. I'm not saying Magufuli is the best I uh, individual. In fact, he's turning out to be a cantankerous uh, 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 leader. <laughs> right. but, but his first term of office, his first uh, few months, um, uh, he showed a, a serious commitment to, uh, to, fight for the, uh, to fight the cartels um, in the bureaucracy. He did manage, but that paralyzed the system. Now the cartels regrouped, and he probably has become part of them, right? Well, to be honest, I mean, you and I, we travel around Africa, despite the fact that we co complain about corruption with cartels and whatever, even ordinary people support these cartels. I mean, you know, and that's where the problem arises. I mean, they themselves will, will somehow prefer them to be stealing and then passing money down down, down the line, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. I'm pushing all over Africa. I like your argument. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, there, there is nothing that makes that one much more um, uh, visible than during the elections, yes. where people demand to be bribed yes. uh, before they cast their vote. Yes. And they say, actually, in some countries that I've gone to, they say, bribe is our right. Yes. Give us our right. Bribe is our right. You know? No, no um, um, this is not a joke, but I think people demand for bribes. People demand for these cartels to give them uh, resources mm -hmm. simply because the governments don't deliver. Mm -hmm. And elected leaders are not very well connected to the people who give them votes. And therefore, that moment of election is the only 
opportunity you have for a direct relationship with your representative. Because once he leaves, he gets his votes and gets into, uh, and the election is over, the interim, interregional period, they do nothing for the constituencies. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there is a lot of disillusionment with government um, and with elected leaders. With regard to the government, governments don't provide the services they're supposed to provide mm -hmm. as a right. They tend to make services and development a privilege. Yes. Right? So you are privileged to get government services. You are privileged to get government development on account of how you vote. And on basis of that, people have developed uh, what we, we can call a default condition mm -hmm. that they, will they, will, they think uh, development is a privilege. And therefore, because that's a default condition, when they see the government, they demand to be bribed. They demand a development. So development is not provided as a, as, 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 as a right that you are entitled to, but as, an, as a privilege that you, you'll get because of how you vote how you align your interests, and how you align with those in power. And that's where the challenge lies. But there's also another challenge. I mean, uh, in Africa, really, democracy is practiced in urban areas. But it, it is in, in rural areas because the traditional leaders are in control of the people, they get money from the governments, and then they tell them, vote for this or that party. Isn't that the case? Yeah, um, that, that, that speaks most of um, um, West Africa and uh, Southern Africa region, because the Eastern Africa, because of the British experience, the traditional leaders have no influence well, at all, right? Yeah, uh, have no influence at all. Um, but one would really um, uh, understand why uh, this is uh, happening in uh, places where there is traditional authority. We have uh, two centers of social and political power, yes. the traditional versus the modern institutions, and both of them are competing for space. Mm. And the, the traditional authority wishes to exert its influence and authority over the people, and the state at the same time wishes to do so. And in the process, you find a commingling of interest between the, the state institutions and the traditional institutions. And more often than not, more often than not, the state institutions have got to corrupt the traditional leaders and therefore the traditional leaders also lose their connection with the people they are supposed to be representing, yes, yes. right? Because they are co-opted by the state and its institutions mm -hmm. through different means. But I mean, some people have argued that democracy in Africa will not necessarily lead to good leaders being elected, but there's an opportunity for them to be kicked out of the next election. But once they get to power, they start maneuvering with the constitution to entrench the state in power. So how do you dismantle this uh, sort of uh, activities? Um, um, uh, I hear that dis disillusionment. Wherever you go across Africa, you mm. feel that that's the disillusionment. Uh, people say that good leaders are elected, and once they get into office, they change their character, mm -hmm. they, they start uh, governing in the same same manner as the previous ones. Mm -hmm. The reason why that happens is because we have also weak institutions to hold people to account. Our judiciary, the bureaucracies that we have, the parliaments that we have, are we so weakened that they will play to the whims of these new leaders. Mm -hmm. But what we need to start focusing on as African citizens is to, first of all, insist on growing very independent and effective judiciary with judges who are not intimidated by the executive, with the courts that are 
ready to govern by the rule of law and to issue judgments that are based not on political considerations but on basis of the law. Very few countries can actually vouch for having very strong judiciary. If we have got strong judiciary, then we shall be um, underlining constitutionalism as the strong, most important principle of governance. So we, be, we have to begin with A, building strong institutions, and in particular the judiciary and the courts in general. And B, we have got to start insisting on constitutionalism and the rule of law as the fundamental principle of governance so that we, are, we become societies that are governed by the law and people are punished by the law irrespective of who they are and irrespective of whatever political considerations they may be holding. The other thing to, to bear in mind is that um, we have undermined popular groups, civil society organizations are under threat across Africa. Mm -hmm. And yet these are the institutions that have actually been putting pressure on governments to account. We have got to go back to the growing board and start generating and rebuilding civil society that can start holding governments and government institutions to account in an effective manner. Uh, that's interesting because when I was in uh, Kenya for the elections in 2017, I could see the division between civil society and Chiloba. It's a case of personality just fighting each other. He was one of us. Now he's going to join the, uh, the, the, the uh, enemy, a sort of poacher turned gamekeeper. So, I mean, I can see that fight was just among the elite rather than in the interest of, 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 of Odile Kenya. Yeah, that, 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 I, I agree. That, was a very good, that is a very good observation that we are making. Rather yes. than having a consultant and a building yes. uh, collective mm -hmm. efforts to mm -hmm. do things right, uh, mm -hmm. there is a lot of infighting yes. that takes place. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very unfortunate and it's a common thread virtually in uh, different, uh, uh, different uh, parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. and, and I may want to add, it's not by accident that ha that happens. The state elites yes. have got a hand in this. Um, of course, knowing how to divide the civil society yes. is um, is uh, the most um, um, uh, is, is one tool that governments use. Because if you leave the civil society to be strong and undivided, then you have got a problem in your hands. So the best thing to do is to divide them, divide them between Chiloba and them, yes. and divide the civil society even further, mm -hmm. uh, so that you do not have concerted efforts and you don't have a cohesive voice uh, that is attacking the government. That's uh, unfortunate. It's something that is common across Africa. It's something that uh, civil society groups need to start studying very carefully mm -hmm. and start asking what uh, they need to do in order to have a better voice. Uh, the other point to make um, with regard to civil society across Africa is that even when they are faced with threat by governments, even when they are facing this crisis from yes. the government and yes. the crisis of cohesiveness, mm -hmm. I don't think civil society is, is stepping back to say, let's ask where the rains started beating us and start doing serious studies to ask, how do we do our work better now? Um, how do we imp improve on our advocacy? Especially in Africa, where the ordinary person is no longer looking for civil and political rights. Yes. The ordinary person is looking for bread and butter every day, everywhere. And in fact, in some places, they are saying rights are not uh, what is putting food on the table because yes. many people have forgotten that actually it's rights that have made this openness. Yes. Uh, it's the struggle for better rights mm -hmm. that has, uh, the struggle for better rights from the 1990s and the 2000s is what has made Africa to be open the way it is today. So some people have forgotten that and they are saying that right is not bread, mm -hmm. right is not what on the table. That's, that's 
ignorance, I would say that. But civil society has not sat down mm -hmm. to ask, how do we now start addressing this ignorant group yeah, yeah. of people who are born from the 90, in early 1990s and never saw the bad period? People speak about the politics of the, of the stomach. They're not going to eat rights. So I, I think it's the high time civil society sat down um, across Africa mm -hmm. and sat uh, looking at various contexts of the operation and sat asking, how do we redo what, uh, how do we do what we do, we do better? Uh, given the changing context of society in the continent. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm Desmond Davis and my guest today is Karuti Kanyinga, a professor of development studies at the Institute for Development Studies at the University of Nairobi. But this institution should say should be independent and be strong. They've all been compromised, the judiciary, the civil service. I mean, governments flood civil service to, to, to give people a, a, a sort of benefit for, for supporting them. And the judiciary, well, I mean, they just have all sorts of problems to face with governments. So how, do you, how, do they, how should they become independent? Even civil society, it boils down to money. Most of the funding comes from abroad, and government also uses that against them. Uh, he, Desmond, you are, you are raising two important observations here, and I think they are quite complicated to respond to. One is, of course, uh, uh, the weakening, weakening of the civil society through donor funding, yes. and the second one is uh, cooptation of various institutions and weakening of those various institutions by the government. Mm -hmm. uh, let me begin with the last, uh, the weakening of institutions by the government. Um, uh, weakening of the judiciary, weakening of the courts, weakening of the civil service itself, um, weakening of parliament itself. Uh, why do we have uh, the government to do that? It's because it provides an opportunity for the government to be non-accountable, right? Uh, if you have got weak institutions, then you will not be accountable. And that's the point I made earlier, is that you can improve on these institutions through two ways. Building a movement for accountability that will continue demanding accountability. Even if you speak to a stone, by the way, a stone will one day hear you. Yes. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> if you go knocking the stone uh, and mm. asking it whether you are hearing me, it will start cracking. Yes. Yeah, because we are beating it uh, to listen to you. Right? And that's the reaction. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, these institutions, uh, we need to have movements of accountability. We need to rebuild the civil society that we are, I'm, I'm coming back to. We need to start asking civil society to uh, up their voice and demands for accountability, irrespective of where they are. We have seen some beautiful games in places, very bad places like in Burundi, where a very small voice of civil society sometimes occasions some small changes from uh, uh, on the part of the government. But we need now a greater movement depending on the context in which people are, so that at least we can start sharing uh, better voices for accountability. The second thing is I think in different countries there is no, there is very limited networking yes. and cooperation between institutions that can actually demand better accountability 
of uh, uh, the government. And thirdly, uh, institutions like the judiciary have been taken for granted in many countries and left on their own, yes. right? So even in instances where you see some judges becoming very strong and very uh, strong in, their, uh, in trying to enforce the rule of law, they are left alone. There is no one actually to back them up, mm. right? Uh, because you, you, you sometimes accountability has got its own dangers. Um, uh, you may be left on your own and you drive your own... Uh, <laughs> yes. You, you, you own that. I do remember a judge in Burundi. Uh, is it a, spring, a high court judge or a Supreme Court? I think a high court judge. Um, when the matter of uh, whether uh, the, the president should run for that term or not was presented to the courts, um, he was ready to issue a dissenting voice yeah. to say, no, you can't. Yeah. But he was faced with a lot of threats and he had run out of the country. He did not get support from anyone. And even to date, I don't think he has ever got that kind of support. Uh, the same in uh, Zimbabwe. So uh, the point I'm making is that sometimes those with voices for accountability are left on, on their own without being given the support by other forces, progressive groups in the society. We must learn from that and start improving on building collaboration, improve on building collective action so that uh, uh, people don't become isolated. Even in Kenya, people like John Gelongo, uh, people like yes. David D, mm -hmm. uh, very great friends of mine, um, most of the time I felt is feel isolated mm -hmm. by others who should be joining hands and giving them the support that is required. That doesn't happen. Let's go back to the civil society. Um, I think um, Desmond, I, I, the, the point we're making is the point that the government makes. Mm. Unfortunately, yes. that uh, civil society groups live on uh, donor funding and therefore speak the voices of the donors. Yes. I, I'm far from the truth. I mean, that's uh, not true. Um, uh, civil society groups actually represent the voices of the voiceless, if one can say that, especially the governance and uh, uh, human rights organizations across Africa. They speak the voice of the voiceless. Uh, they speak the voice of the people without rights. Um, and uh, it's not true that actually they speak the, the language of the donors. Mm -hmm. They are not. Yes. Now the only problem is that um, the work that they do, uh, present day in twenty first century, is organized work. It's not like the work they did in the twentieth century of organizing movement for political yes. rights. Yes. You know yes. that didn't require any organizational form. Mm -hmm. But present uh, work, uh, given the context in which everybody lives requires a lot of organization. And that organization requires resources. Yes. Um, you cannot really have uh, reach if, uh, in a society if you are not able to travel and reach certain areas of the country. Mm -hmm. You cannot have reach if you are not going to have a, a mechanism for reaching the social media. You cannot have reach in any, to any particular constituency if you are not going to get there through the electronic and print media, uh, among other yes. uh, means, right? Uh, in the past, you needed not to do that. All that you needed to do is to have g different groups of networks to mobilize um, an uprising in quotes yes. in the 1990s. Yes, and exactly. people would feel you. Yes. People would feel you. Mm -hmm. These days, because of changes in technology, requires better different approaches to civic engagement than we have had before. Yeah, but coming back to uh, politics, we still have a problem in Africa of uh, the single party dominance. Look at the ANC, 25 years. Zanupi have been there since independent. Chama Chama Mapinduzi, NRM in Uganda. They've been there for ages. So, I mean, how do we dismantle the single party dominance? Um, I think... Um, my, my, my problem is not even how do you dismantle the single party dominance. No. 
my uh, question would be how do we create opportunities for growth of stronger other political parties alongside whatever is happening or alongside these particular political parties mm -hmm. let's call a spade a spade I'm sorry to say this ANC is strong in the rural areas of South Africa. Indeed, yeah, that's what happened. So if we all went and started talking about an alternative voice to ANC in areas where people know how apartheid looked like, people tell you you don't know what you are telling us, right? Um, and EFF is coming as an alternative, but people are already questioning, look at Malema himself, look at who he is, how did he rise to where he is, what are, what are his uh, progressive credentials uh, from the very beginning, right? So the issue is not necessarily how do you do away with the single, single party, party dominance, but creating opportunities for rebirth of progressive political institutions, including in places like Tanzania, including in places like uh, Uganda. Um, how do you create opportunities for these new other forms of progressive political parties to emerge? That would be the question to ask. If you look at NRM in Uganda, um, I, I, quite a number of Ugandans disagree with me when I say that actually NRM is very popular in some of the rural areas, mm -hmm. especially because of the insecurities of the 1980s. And this is what M7 always goes talking about, that uh, he brought peace and security in Uganda, right? But that is not the reason why you should be in power forever, right? That's right? what African leaders argue all the time, yes. Yeah, that's and not the reason why you should be in power years. forever. Yeah. You should create opportunities for mm. others to be mm. in power. Now, this is where I think uh, uh, civil society and opposition political parties need to form alliances in. And that alliance of civil society and uh, uh, progressive groups in the society and opposition groups um, is um, uh, uh, one approach of actually checking these uh, monolithic single-party uh, institutions. We have experience in Kenya in the early 2003. That experience yes. of forming a coalition of interests yes. is what will actually deliver alternative political parties so that the party that wins is influenced by ideas and ideals of progressive groups in the society. So we cannot talk about dismantling what cannot be dismantled. Yes. We can only talk about rebirth and building new movements to face them head on, and probably they'll get in them out of power. It almost happened in Zimbabwe in, yes. 20, in, in 2008. It almost yes. happened. In fact, some of us think that probably it did happen, but again, because of the technological transmission of results, <laughs> we may not tell what, well, really, what really happened. Well, well, that, that's the but, but what I'm yes. sim simply saying is that uh, mm -hmm. whether there is ZANU PF, ANC, Chama Chamet, Peduzi in mm -hmm. Tanzania mm -hmm. and NRM, we can only have them properly checked and even got out of power if we are coalition, coalition of progressive groups, including opposition, credible opposition political parties, progressive civil society groups, progressive social movements, forming alliances that will actually hold these ones to a check and prepare themselves to get into office. But these are strong parties, well entrenched. I mean, in the US and the UK, you only have two major parties changing power. So, I mean, is there anything wrong with this happening in Africa? Um, the context in which we have uh, two major parties in Europe is completely different from our context. Mm -hmm. um, because the two labor uh, system, I mean the two party systems yes. in uh, America and the UK okay. and many parts of uh, Africa um, uh, evolved through industrialization process. Right? Mm -hmm. 
evolved through the industrialization process, which Africa is not witnessing. Uh, A, industrialization, there were people selling labor. Uh, those are where, that's where you get the majority of the people becoming actually labor uh, uh, members in the uh, yes. UK. Mm-hmm. And then there were the owners of capital, and therefore they formed the, <laughs> the, conservative, <laughs> the, the conservative party, yeah. right? Um, and, and therefore you have got uh, uh, owners of capital and owners of labor competing for power at, uh, and control of the state at different times. Mm-hmm. And the ideologies therefore continue to vary, and the, the issues they present in campaigns are, are very different types of issues. Uh, the same with America. The, the, the conservatives, uh, Republicans have been conservative, and the Democrats have been associated uh, not only with labor but with the progressive ideas. Uh, so in Africa, yes. unfortunately, we do not have that particular kind of context. Our context is ethnic and religious, yes. right? So we are likely to have as many parties as we have ethnic groups. As many political parties as religious groups, because yes. that's the context in which we operate, mm-hmm. right? And we cannot lose sight of the fact that actually many of the parties in several parts of Africa today are either based on religion, regional, or ethnic, right? And that's because of the context in which we operate. In some countries such as Kenya, the constitution has tinkered with that to ensure that the winning presidential candidate has 50% plus one vote. The reason for that is actually to start thinking about how to form a larger movement, larger political Mm -hmm. parties that are not necessarily ethnic, but a coalition of uh, ethnic groups. And I see that even in Nigeria today. I mean, Mm. um, I may be wrong, but when I look at the north and south and how they vote, you realize that even Nigeria is having a two-party system now. It's evolving. In Ghana, it's a two-party system. It's a two-party system. It has emerged. In Kenya, uh, whether we, uh, however we look at it, because the names of our political parties change after every five years, but characters remain the same. Yes. It's also a two-party system. Yeah, yeah <laughs> because when uh, President Mahama was observing the elections in uh, in Kenya, he did say that he felt bad when he lost, but he had to step down. Yes, so, which which was very good. Uh, that's how he spoke to uh, Kenyan politicians. So I mean, yeah, Ghana. But of course, the I mean, the uh, political system in Ghana evolved through the dictatorship of Rollins that drummed discipline into Ghanaians, and that has worked, hasn't it? Um, by the way, Ghanaians will shoot you. <laughs> I, I, know, no, I know that they, they never like to say that about, about Rollins. <laughs> Ghanaians will, will shoot you. You said that he instilled discipline in the, in the political <laughs> yeah, space. But also, let's, uh, let's also pay attention to the fact uh, that uh, institutions in Ghana have taken long to grow. Yes and especially political institutions. Look at how the Electoral Commission comes out to look uh, to foster credibility yes. in the elections. Look at their judiciary, right? Yes. And so we, it's not only discipline that we are talking about, but also the commitment of uh, leaders of various institutions and saying, saying Ghana is far much more important than any of us. Uh, and in fact, the joke that was there in one of the elections, I can't remember, I think it's... Uh, a country, the, the last election, but uh, the current one. Yes. Uh, where people say that uh, let's vote wherever, however we are going to, to vote, because we know we are going to change you. Yes. Very, sh- very soon, after five years, we shall change you. So change and transition has become a tradition that is governed by the rule of law, 
rather than by other, any other consideration. And that's the most fundamental uh, thing to say about Ghana. Yes, indeed. In Ghana, they give a political party two terms. Yes. And that's it. Then that's change. it, yes. Because Mahama was expecting, he was expecting a, another term. Yes. But then his party would have been in power for three terms. For three terms, <laughs> and that is not acceptable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> acceptable. <laughs> they want you to try your policies within ten years. Yes. And once you are finished with ten years, they know very well that we are changing you. Yes. Uh, so that, that that has become also very predictable. Yes. Uh, because democracy is about predictability, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, democracy is uh, is about the fact that we are using the the, the law, and the moment uh, you, you use the law in this manner, the result is going to be A B C D. Yes. Yeah. But one final question: How do you see the uh, changes taking place in uh, Sudan? I think they've learned from Zimbabwe. It's not just the leader who should go. The whole system should go. That's why they're, they're resisting. Do you think that, that that's a good sign? That's a very good sign. Yes. Uh, because, you see, um, the problem with Sudan, and like many other uh, African countries, is that bad manners have been institutionalized yes. for a very long time <laughs> and militarized as well. Yes. So if bad manners are both institutionalized and militarized, mm -hmm. the only way you can actually approach clear, that is clear. to get them out yeah. and see whether you can form a new culture. Yes. My only fear with South Sudan is that uh, maybe they're not learning about how to start thinking about new values mm -hmm. to govern their system. Mm -hmm. If they wait for two years to have another election, they'll get it wrong. Mm -hmm. Elections should be done in the shortest time period in order to have new character with new values and new norms to move South Sudan forward. If they wait for another two years, the regime will never be different. What they will have are characters of the same old order because all the under the uh, groups um, very we're fast. We're talking about the north. No, no, no south, yeah, the I'm north. talking about north. north yeah, yes. Sudan, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, they have said that elections are likely to be uh, uh, in two years. No, that one, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. The soldiers will if we allow, soldiers. if we allow North uh, uh, Sudan yes. to have elections in the next two years, this transition that they're having is not going to be of any change. Because we have learned a lot in Africa, and Kenya is a very good example. When we had a referendum, yes. we should have closed the shop, called for elections immediately, in order to have new leaders to govern the country with a new constitution. Mm -hmm. Sudan should do the same, yes. have elections in the next six months, yes. so that whoever is elected now is someone who is going to look at Sudan anew. If you give them two years, the old order is going to be group yes. and is going to be yes. in office. So what's your view generally about uh, democratic governance in Africa? Is it one step forward, two step backwards? Because I, I, I saw one of your YouTube videos, you were talking about gains and reversals. Um, actually, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I would have said that it is two steps forward, one step backward. Yes. Um, now I'm uh, convinced that uh, in some countries what mm -hmm. we have are mm -hmm. uh, three steps forward, and the two steps step backward. backward. <laughs> but at least there is a step There's forward. A step forward. <laughs> <laughs> There's a step forward. There's a step forward, forward yes. you know? um, <laughs> And that is simply because of what I see at present. Uh, in countries like Kenya, there is a lot of backlash, you know, yes. backsliding, even yes. with that progressive constitution. Mm -hmm. If you look at Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, the opportunity they had to root Mugabe out of power yes. was monumental, mm -hmm. was monumental. But then it's the old elites that have ganged up and come back to, mm. uh, to office in a yes. big way. Uganda has been presented with an opportunity to get Museveni out through the ballot. That has itself not worked. Yes. You know? yes. uh, we have no new 
faces, youthful faces that yes. are challenging him. Yes. But you see, every time they make steps forward, there are several other steps backward. Yes. 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 Karuti Kanyinga, Professor of Development Studies at the Institute for Development Studies at the University of Nairobi. Thank you very much. Thank you very much yes. for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on these and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.